What's up guys? It's a great day. This is Fuquan Bilal and we are back with another great episode of the PFREI podcast series. We interview experts in the real estate business in order to provide you with some of the best investment strategies and techniques used by leading fund managers, financiers, house flippers, and more. We appreciate every single one of you for taking the time to press play on the podcast and hope you enjoy this new episode. All right, guys, we're back again with another great episode, PFREI, A Passion for Real Estate Investments. I'm your host, Fuquan Bilal. We have Mark Bellator. So Mark is a New Zealand-born real estate investor who currently lives in Kansas City, Missouri area. He has built up a real estate company that now buys and sells 150 to 200 homes per year and currently has 600 houses under management. Wow. Talk about that. Expertise <laughs> is in turnkey real estate model. Uh, I'm sorry, his expertise in turnkey real estate model is unparalleled, and his clients come from all over the world to help them buy U.S. properties completely hands off. I think I messed that last line up, but I think they get it. So 600 houses. Oh man, crazy, it's isn't it? here <laughs> yeah man it's been it's been a, it's been a good run Fuquan um you know unlike most people um that you may meet in CG or in different masterminds um that have been in business since you know for four or five years I've been doing it for 17 years and so it's been a long slow uh, run but it's been a good one um we've just had really slow steady organic growth all of our businesses come from referral I've never really had to um, market you know, for investor clients. Um, what I found pretty early on is that rich people like to talk about where they're investing their money and, and what returns they're getting. And so uh, the referrals that came from our passive investor group um, was enough to, to uh, handle the increased uh, deal flow that we were getting. That's awesome. Mark, the first question I always ask the guests on the show is why are you passionate for real estate investments? Wow. Uh, good question. I'm extremely passionate about real estate investing. Um, and I'll back up to say what I'm not passionate about, which is investing in the stock market. Um, I'm very anti-stock market. Um, I just feel like um, the American um, public is probably kind of pushed into that, uh, that field all too soon. As soon as you sign up for a job, um, the 401k is filled out and you start putting $100 a month or $100 a paycheck into this you know, 401k. And I understand that you can't go secure a piece of, ass, a piece of real estate for 100 but I think what the real estate industry has really dropped the ball on is being able to be a resource for investors that want that have earned that, you know, that have got a decent nest egg and want to diversify out of the stock market. I'm not saying never put any money in the market, but I think too many, uh, you know, people in the, in the modern age are just putting all their eggs in that stock market basket. And I think it's a shame because real estate offers so many benefits with did the depreciation to offset um, your income, the appreciation of the asset. Um, it's always different, but in the Kansas City marketplace, we see the doubling in value of real estate in the decent areas of town, the A and B type properties, they double in value every 20 years. So um, if you put your houses on a 20 year amortization, you have it paid off in 20 years, oh, and it doubled in value. I mean, it's, it's hard to lose when you have an asset that's consistently going up, you know, conservatively at, you know, two and a half, three percent per year. So it doubles in value every 20 and um, you consistently are, you know, seeing that, that paid down from your tenants. That's awesome, man. So 17 years in this space, you had to go through that downturn. Um, were you still in the Kansas City market during that time? Or I was, yeah. I'm a, so New Zealander, born and raised, came over here at the age of 18, um, got my undergrad and my MBA at the University of Missouri here in Kansas City. 
And so, yeah, although I'm from New Zealand, I know Kansas City real estate way better than New Zealand real estate. Um, and in fact, I wouldn't have a business if I was in New Zealand because the real estate is so ridiculously expensive in New Zealand. Um, I think it's the third most expensive city. Auckland um, is the third most expensive city in the world, only behind London and San Fran. So, um, yeah, I would not be able to do turnkey real estate there. Um, Kansas City is an amazing town with, um, yeah, great opportunity here because of that, uh, that just cheap entry point um, that allows us to, to, you know, have cash flow positive. When the, when the market tanked in uh, 2006 and seven, uh, we were really well positioned. We were just gaining momentum. We were buying a lot of houses. And although we kind of had to pause for a minute to just see where the bottomed out, as soon as we hit um, 2008 and a half and into 2009, uh, we were just buying aggressively and uh, we had so many investors lined up ready to buy. And that's when our international contacts really started gaining momentum because uh, they were not only taking advantage of a weak U.S. housing market, but also the weak U.S. dollar. And so they were kind of double dipping and saw some huge returns, obviously, for the investors that were confident enough to uh, be able to start buying in, in that time period. What is the marketplace now? Is it you still seeing a, a lot of inventory? Because uh, there's certain pockets of the U.S. where there's a shortage of inventory because of uh, the prices of housing has increased. How is that affecting your market? Sure. So in Kansas City, we're definitely seeing, uh, seeing the effects not only of an increased market, but also HGTV has been around now for, I mean, well, they would probably say 10 years. I feel like it's had a real impact on us for about the last five years. We've really had popular shows that are part of Main Street culture. Uh, where everyone, you know, all the the housewives are talking about it. And I really believe that HGTV um, has really educated uh, the clientele to the point where, you know, you've got mom and pop operators now that feel like they've, you know, they can actually go and flip a house and, and uh, that, that, that that's an opportunity for them. So we are certainly seeing um, operators come in and, um, you know, have an impact. I mean, it may be, you know, just one or two, you know, houses that we miss out. But when you multiply that by 100 different people that are in the marketplace, there's very uh, there there is a greater compression on on deal flow for sure. That coupled with obviously the Main Street buyers um, of you know Main Street renewal, first key homes, um, you know Blackstone when they were around, American Homes for Rent, these big corporate buyers that are coming in and buying up single family homes in mass, um, which is kind of what we were doing, but we just didn't have a billion; we had millions. <laughs> so you know those guys have certainly disrupted the industry, and deal flow is a challenge. However. Um, that's why, you know, I invite and I invest in mastermind groups to be able to, um, you know, cater to the different, um, you know, streams of, of revenue. I know one of your questions, if I may jump there immediately is, you know, a challenge that I've had in the marketplace. The biggest challenge for me in the past, you know, 12 to 24 months is that we used to get, you know, we do around 150 to 200 homes a year. We get a uh, hundred of those just from the courthouse steps. And when you take a funnel that's delivering 100 houses a year, and now we're dealing buying zero houses a year from the courthouse steps, it's hard for that not to have an impact on your bottom line. But because we are good at what we do, we saw that coming. We have uh, gone to seller direct marketing. We're developing relationships uh, through with wholesalers. In fact, we actually hired a wholesaler that we consistently were seeing was at the top of his game. Um, so we brought on a wholesaler, so he'd be able to bring us wholesale deals. Um, we're now working with realtors and um, you know, all different kinds of acquisition streams to make sure that we don't miss out um, on that deal flow. I think that you can get married to a, an acquisition stream um, and let the creative mind kind of uh, you know, go a little bit complacent. 
And so we've really stressed that 2020, well, 2019 was the year that we had relentless pursuit of low and no cost marketing methods to bring deals to the table. Because it's amazing if you just, you know, open your mouth to a divorce attorney, um, say, hey, if there's ever a deal that you come across where you need a quick cash closing, you know, let us know. And you start bragging and branding about what you do and how you can help. It's amazing how those little onesie twosies can add up and you start getting, you know, five or six divorce attorneys or seven or eight probate attorneys or, you know, seven or eight foundation companies. If they all know that you're the guy to turn to, suddenly that deal flow has been stabilized and we've gone, you know, we can, we've stabilized the lack of acquisitions and now we're back to buying, you know, 10 to 15 houses a month. So with the, with the inventory fund we talked about that you used to have that became challenging when it went to zero, you diversified into different uh, acquisition strategies to bring that consistent deal flow in. What about the scalability part? Are you, do you guys have any challenges there with scaling? Like if somebody say, here's 600 houses, here's 600 properties right now. We Great question. Yeah, no, that it's very valid. And um, the one thing that I've um, been very fortunate is that I found the right COO and I've kind of elevated my position, position out of um, an operator role. And so now I'm truly in the CEO seat, um, working on big relationships, the vision, the branding, the partnerships, the, the big ideas. You know, I've got someone who's actually uh, steering the ship and I get to tell the ship where to go and then it just goes. So that for me was the biggest thing. And I think as an entrepreneur, I, I, can, I can look back with 2020 vision now and say that's where I was failing uh, with being able to scale uh, because I was putting so much pressure on my subordinates and my my lead managers in those different positions because, you know, we would have opportunities to scale and grow, but it was really a stressor on them. Uh, once I hired my COO to come in and, you know, help me run the ship and, and he's a better operator than I am. Um, if you've read a book, I'd encourage you to read. Um, are you familiar with EOS and Traction? Yeah, I just yeah. I actually just I'm almost done with tra Traction. I just started reading that before the CG event. Okay, so if anyone's looking at scaling, you know, from kind of a million dollar business up to a, you know, five or $10 million business, you'll have to hire a COO. Um, you know, as visionary entrepreneurs, we always get ahead of ourselves and think that we can do everything um, to scale and get to that next level. You've really got to bring on a COO. And um, Rocket Fuel is a book that was written by Gino Wickman and the group there at Traction. And it addresses having the visionary and the integrator coming together. And when you truly get you know, that symbiotic relationship that can truly gel, uh, it truly takes it to the next level. And so now all the ideas I have um, and the ideas that I get from a, a mastermind group that I can come back and start implementing, he implements them for me. We have strategy sessions, we talk about the vision and, and direction of the company, but then he's responsible for making sure that the team's on board with leading them. He's also a good checks and balances. You know, I I have, you know, I'm, I'm a classic entrepreneur where I've got, you know, you know, 20, you, you have, don't have a good idea, just ask me and I'll give you five, right? So, um, you know, I've always got ways that I'm trying to, to challenge and move forward and, and grow the business. He's the one that pumps the brakes and says, okay, you know, what are our 30-day goals, 60-day goals, 90-day goals? You know, let, let's really work at moving the rock, you know, cautiously, systematically. And, you know, to your point, Fuquan, um, you know, do I want 600 doors now? No, I don't. We want to get, you know, we want to pick the top 200 that will make us the most amount of money in 2020. So we are scaling, but we're scaling appropriately and with responsibility. We're not just, you know, we're not trying to just be the, the biggest. We're trying to be the most profitable um, and deliver the best quality product. So it is That's very awesome. much, you know, yeah. a cautious approach to scaling. Scaling to get better, not to get bigger. 
Nailed it. <laughs> I, I just I had uh, Joe Libra on earlier, and we were talking about the magician and the mule. And he said, Us "Entrepreneurs are like the mule. Mule, I can do it. Put anything on my back, I can take. I can do it. Well, we should be like the magician." And I was just like, "Wow, I still that from him." But like, that's definitely what he was talking about, you know, moving. Yeah, and I think as you grow a business, there, there's the two, right? There's there's the CEO and the COO. There's the visionary and the integrator, whatever you want to call them. There has to be someone that has the big ideas, the big vision, and the big dreams to drive the org but you've got to have an integrator and that's not often the same person. So for me, I'm just blessed. I, I had someone who was actually um, a passive investor of mine. He was buying real estate property through me, had a passion for real estate himself, um, was a very high paid corporate executive, um, but he came on board um, and we're able to, you know, have those discussions about what I was needing. And um, again, my wife was, uh, you know, very integral in, in uh, making sure that I uh, took to very, very cautiously because he was actually a friend of mine um, and so, you know, you got to be careful and had to move from Arizona to Kansas City. So you got to be careful when you start, you know, playing with other people's lives in that way. But it's worked out seamlessly. And um, he's been here for the better part of a year and, and uh, yeah, really thrilled with the way the traction truly that we've received um, and gained in the business since that. That's, since that's that definitely a blessing, man. All of us look for something like that in order for us to have a better foundation on our business. What, what would you do differently now? Um, than you, you were doing before. What would you implement to your business from all of the knowledge you know now going into 2020? If you had to start a little again, what would you do different? Wow. Um, what would I do differently? That's a, that's a deep question. There are so many facets of what we do um, that I could answer that in many ways. You know, we have kind of the four-pronged approach. We have to, you know, buy houses. So, you know, very heavy on the acquisitions. Um, then we've got a full-on remodeling company that we, you know, rehab 150 houses a year. So that's a challenge. Um, you know, on the property management side, I probably would have, um, you know, probably brought on a, a property management leader and got myself out of that business quicker. Um, probably just invested in greater talent at an earlier age. I think that in, in, in retrospect, I think that, you know, what I would have done in each of those four departments of acquisitions, remodeling, property management, and then our sales team, probably would have paid more to get better talent early than just trying to say, well, you know, I, I can probably get someone decent for 40 grand. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. pay 60 grand and get the top of the line property manager than pay 40 and just get someone who's okay. Because the okay people um, uh, at, at CG um, recently, Randy Lawrence, who's a good buddy of mine said, it's easier than it's easier to do than to think it's easier to do than to think. And that, I'm like, wow, that's a deep, deep, deep statement. And I'm like realizing that I'm getting a bunch of doers rather than a bunch of thinkers. And you've got to pay for the thinkers like I did, you know, with my COO. I mean, a huge salary, which obviously is tough to stomach, but at the same time, you know, truly moving the needle. And, you know, if I did that in every single seat, it's encouraging me now, okay, if I truly got a property manager who was thinking about what they're doing and how they're doing it and, and could we do it better, they save you so much money in countless ways if you actually get thinkers rather than doers. So I think in retrospect, um, you know, the business hasn't gone in the wrong direction per se, but I think it could have accelerated our development by getting people that, that just think before they do. That's awesome, man. I, that Randy is, uh, he gave a uh, talk at the event, really moving. And that statement um, that you shared with the group, you know, that he shared with you was really, 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 really uh, awesome because it makes a lot of sense, right? You really, you mm. people who, like you said, who can move the needle instead of this, we've all been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that myself also, you know, 
I'm not wanting to pay the high salary and, you know, think I can train this person to be. Yeah. Be. <laughs> and see. But the problem with that is it also that you're training them to just be a mini you and, exactly. and you or I'll turn it around and, and I come with flaws. And so, you know, although I've been doing the task, I'm probably not the best person to do that task. Um, you know, I have much bigger things that I should be doing. And so, you know, they should be at a level where you're bringing on someone talented enough to have their own ideas of how they could do it better. And the sooner you get out of the way, the better. And if you're just training them to do and not to think, then, you know, you're just going to keep, keep, you're going to get a level of frustration straight back again, uh, which I found myself in that revolving door. And, and honestly, it just, you know, when you don't give people the autonomy and you, you micromanage or they need managing, it frustrates you, it frustrates them. They want more pay. You say, well, you're not really worth it because you're not delivering. And it's just this vicious cycle of people coming in, coming out. So the culture we have now, we've got longevity. Um, I think our people are staying longer um, and enjoying, uh, you know, where they are. Yeah, that's important, man. And you can sleep easy at night just for that. Absolutely. The other side, other stuff still keeps you up, I'm sure. So you're doing 150 plus flips also. So that's a whole different uh, segment of the market with the turnkey stuff. Let's talk about that a little bit. Are you doing... Are you guys sticking with a certain dollar amount, three bedroom, one bathroom, like a quick cookie cutter in and out type of flip? You guys have like a criteria on renovation time? I know that's like three, four questions, but. Yep, no, we're very detailed in that respect. Uh, we do, we focus geographically more so than uh, eliminating a two bedroom or a three bedroom or four bedroom or, or a garage or not a garage. Um, you know, if it, to me, it's math, right? If it cash flows, it cash flows. So I would never say no to a two bedroom one. As soon as, as soon as I get an investor who says, well, I only want three bedrooms. I'm like, really? Cause I got this two bedroom for sale. Um, and it's generating like 400 bucks a month cash flow, and you've got like 40 grand of equity. And they'll be like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, I want that deal. I'm like, okay, well, I don't really have that, but I'm just trying to, you know, it's like, if I had that and I can deliver that to you, would you buy it? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, then don't limit yourself to just um, buying three bedroom houses. So, but what we do focus on is our brand is all about professionalism and quality. So we have granite in all of our rentals. We have, uh, you know, stainless steel appliances. We have LVP, luxury vinyl plank flooring. Um, you know, we're trying to eliminate carpet. We're trying to make these things bulletproof so that when an investor buys a home from us, they know that they're going to have it as, you know, uh, a great asset for the long term, but also minimizing the two biggest killers of cash flow for Quan, which are vacancy and maintenance. And so we're trying to really drill down to get, get better at our tenant turns so that our investors have longer periods of occupancy with minimized maintenance. And that's our, our core goal on these assets. So yeah, we're really focused on what we do and how we do it. Um, but the where we buy is probably more important to us than, than what we buy. Uh, we will buy a totally distressed home uh, as long as the math works that we have enough rehab money to get it up to par um, on the back end. We'll buy something that's you know already fixed up, doesn't need much as long as we can make the buy rights. We can turn around and sell it to our investor on the back end. You know what we're trying to deliver is a really good you know double digit cash on cash returns to our investors, um, and that's something that we're we're proud of and and sells uh, obviously on the back end. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Just answer the question: What does the cap rate look like? Is you said double-digit cap rate on a on a retail end to the investor? Yeah, I mean you've got you know a combination of equity and and yield. Um, you know the cash on cash return is obviously in double digits pretty comfortably. Um, but no, I mean in this competitive marketplace, we're delivering you know on on really nice assets, the A quality assets. Um, and and in Kansas City, you've got A, B, and C class assets. We do not deal at all in the C class assets. We avoid the inner city. We avoid the the bad zip codes. Um, so it's all A and B class properties. 
Um, so, you know, on the A-class properties that are super nice and tenants tend to stay, you know, on average, you know, three and a half to four years rather than just two years. Um, those ones with great appreciation and you might be drilling down to where the only seven or eight percent yield. Um, but on the ones that are the B-class properties that might get a little bit more turnover or, you know, are, are not um, as consistent and may have an eviction, you know, once in a while. Um, those ones there, you'd be looking at somewhere in that eight to 10 percent yield. So those, you know, drive up the cash flow on the back end. Um, but yeah, it's a good product. I mean, you know, we're very proud of what we do. We spit out, you know, somewhere around 100 deals a year, full turnkey, and then around 50 deals a year, um, you know, on the uh, on the flip side. In Kansas City, you know, you've got 150 and below that is a really good um, full turnkey model. And then 150 and above, we just flip all those retail on the MLS. So we kind of have those two different exit strategy, um, as well as a little bit of wholesaling, you know, for, for ones that that may be out of our, our zip code or, or out of our specific criteria that we're looking at for a full term key. Yeah, that's what I asked because I know a lot of people that I've asked them I do wholesales. And that was something that I actually don't do wholesale. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll find something that doesn't fit my buying criteria and sell it, but I won't be considering myself a wholesaler. I don't have a list that I market to. Um, it's just a whole nother arena that you have to get into. I'm trying to stay focused on what I have going on, um, you know, the current investment strategies I have. How is, how is that working out for you, the wholesaling? Yeah, so it's a new thing for us, and here's why. So before, when we were buying, you know, almost 95% of the inventory from auctions, we just would not pursue auction. We had all the deal flow we needed, and we didn't need to pursue other leads. We wanted to say laser-focused. But now that we're actually, and, and you buy on the day, you've got to cash on the day, so the auction is just a very different process. Now that we're creating all these different funnels, we've got a seller direct marketing funnel. We've got, you know, we're launching TV. We're going to have a TV advertising funnel, uh, radio, um, you know, PPC, and, um, you know, all these direct to, to uh, consumer or B2B where we're going to, to attorneys and, and uh, you know, foundation guys and all these different channels, wholesalers, realtors. You've got so many different funnels coming in that we don't want to now you're spending all that money in marketing whereas before we had a zero marketing budget we just shop through an auction and buy now we've got a large marketing budget but we need to make sure that we can uh take advantage of the leads that come into us and not just throw them away so wholesaling is a way for us to recognize we're generating you know let's say 100 lead quality leads a month that are going to lead to a deal we only want to buy you know 20 of those so let's try and find a good avenue for the other 80 and if that's, you know, if we can, uh, you know, sometime monetize even a fraction of those, um, then, then that might pay for the advertising in and of itself. So we're now opening up the wholesaling channel to realize that with the leads that come in, we need to be more cognizant that, you know, just cast them aside and, and let that. And more importantly, it's not just a lead. It's someone that is trying to solve a problem in their life. And let's, let's help them solve problems. If someone's wanting to sell their house in the inner city and they've got huge margin there, well, let's have buyers lined up that are looking for inner city property so that when we get that lead, we can, you know, turn around and give it to someone who's actually going to be able to help that person solve the problem. Because at the end of the day, you know, behind every house is someone who's, you know, let it go to, to let it go downhill and, and needs to be remodeled and, and is trying to solve, solve the problem. And it's a headache in their life. Let's try and help these people out. That's great, man. So let's give the people an opportunity to, if they can reach on the website or find out more information about what you're doing out there in Kansas City, I'm going to plug your website. Oh, sure. Uh, so our company is called SBD Housing. Um, that's my wife's initials, Sarah Beth. Uh, so Sarah Beth Delator, sbdhousing.com. Um, you can go on there, check out some of our promo materials and marketing. Um, 
you know, the person that might be ideal for our, uh, for our course of action would be someone, a high income, high net worth individual that has 100K or more of disposable income that they may want to diversify out of the stock market. That they may want to say, hey, look, real estate's a great play. And they want to work with a trusted professional that knows what they're doing. And um, I'm actually writing a book right now for Kwan called Mistake Free Real Estate. And it's a little bit of a, a play on words because, you know, you're chuckling because you're in real estate, right? There's no such thing yeah. as mistake-free real estate. Um, the idea of the book is, um, the subtitle is, A Passive Investor's Guide to Real Accumulating Wealth Through Real Estate. And it's about, hey, I'm the one that's already made all the mistakes. I've flipped over a thousand homes in the Kansas City marketplace. And I'm very proud of that. But through that process, we've made all the mistakes in the world. How you can invest mistake-free is by partnering with someone like a turnkey provider in a market that we know. And just saying, hey, I'm going to put 20% down. I'm going to get a mortgage. Everything's done for you. The, the, the property's full turnkey, meaning it's beautifully remodeled. The tenant's in place, and we're going to manage it for you. So the mistakes have already been made. Let us just go and, and handle that for you. So uh, look for that book coming soon um, in first quarter of 2020. Um, but, yeah, in the meantime, if they want to reach out, um, just info at sbdhousing.com. Um, or for your uh, preferred audience, if they want to reach out to me directly, uh, it's my first name, which is M-A-R-C-K. So that's Mark at sbdhousing.com. That's awesome. And I definitely appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your journey with us and the reason you're passionate for real estate investing. Another great episode, P-F-R-E-I, a passion for real estate investing. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all the other social media places. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mark. I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing the value with the group. Thanks for calling. It worked out well. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Passion for Real Estate Investments podcast. Looking forward to providing you guys with more testimonials from successful real estate investors. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at a passion, the number four, REI. Thanks so much, guys. And until next time, it's a great day. Mm-hmm.